You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Knives Out. Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. (laughs) And your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? You think one of us, one of his family, Walt Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Harlem was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Up your ass. Very nice. Oh, Ransom. Ransom. You gotta do this more often. The family is truly desperate. When people get desperate, the knives come out. This is a twisted web, and we are not finished untangling it. Not yet. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. There is one guilty party behind it all. You know something. Spill it. Oh my God. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. I think you have something you want to tell me. All right, everyone, you just listened to the trailer for Knives Out, and the story is as follows. A detective and a trooper travel to a lush estate to interview the quirky relatives of a patriarch who died during his 85th birthday celebration. The film is starring Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Langford, Jaden Martell, and Christopher Plummer. It is written and directed by Ryan Johnson, and joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Josh Williams. What's going on, everybody? And also joining us as a guest from In Session Film, we have Daniel Brilliant. Hello. All right, everyone. So, Knives Out, the hotly anticipated film from Ryan Johnson, his follow-up to Star Wars The Last Jedi, a return to form in the sense that, you know, you figure when somebody does a $200 million uh, big blockbuster film, you know, you kind of think that they might stay within that realm for a while. But Ryan Johnson has uh, gone back to a smaller scale film, highlighting the things that he's... uh, (laughs) We've always known that he's been pretty, pretty damn good at, and that is that he really, really finds a great way to tell a story. And here he's concentrating on the Who Done It with Knives Out, a film that premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival to a lot of buzz. It is now playing out over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. What do we ultimately think about it? I'm going to caution you all right now. We are not going to reveal spoilers on this podcast review. For those who haven't seen it, let's not reveal the ending. So dance around it as best as you can 
I pass it off first to our guest, Daniel Brilliant. What do you think of Knives Out? Well, uh, I first saw this film at the very end of the Middleburg Film Festival, literally after sitting through The Irishman. So, you know, not the most ideal circumstance for seeing this film, but it works so well that it's my favorite film of the year so far. Really, really cool. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Uh, so the film uh, is something that I think is endlessly entertaining at times. Fiendishly clever, populated with uh, some really terrific characters um, that are really, really hamming it up at times. And it really does create for a very, very enjoyable experience. So I I can totally see why this would be considered anybody's uh, favorite film of the year uh, for sure. There's another extra added element in there that I know we'll get to in a little bit uh, that kind of, I think, elevates the film beyond just the simple um, entertainment thrills and such. And then there's something really important that this movie has to say but we'll get to that uh let's pass it over now to uh one of the joshes let's uh, go to parm yeah i really ended up enjoying this movie quite a deal and i agree with you that it is just so entertaining it just is a movie that you can kind of sit anybody in front of and they're gonna have a good time with it and it's so great to get those kinds of movies that you can just have a lot of fun with And there is a bigger kind of commentary running through the film, too, which is also something that kind of gives it a little bit more elevation in terms of what you can get out of it. Um, I don't know that for me it ever gets into anything that's like truly best of the year territory for me. I think it's really solidly entertaining, but I don't know if it ever elevates itself into something much more than that for me. But I don't want that to take away from how much I enjoyed this film. I think it is very, very fun to watch. These actors are having a really great time. I liked watching the plot kind of unfold in this very twisty way and very inventive ways too. So it's still a movie that I found a lot of enjoyment while watching and would easily recommend it to people for sure. Yeah, it definitely has like the qualities of the perfect family Thanksgiving film um, for mature audiences, obviously, you know, don't bring your kids to this one. But (laughs) for uh, a movie that actually has like a lot that it can offer people, I agree, Josh, it's not Moonlight. Like, it's not going to change the world or change anyone's life or anything like that. I I, I get that aspect of it. But just on a pure entertainment level, um, Knives Out, you know, the knives are out, you know, to borrow like the guns out uh, <laughs> phrase like 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 Ryan Johnson came to play with this one <laughs> in terms of uh, getting the audiences uh, to cough up the dollar and, uh, you know, devote some time to his latest film. So I'm right there with you on that one. Uh, Josh Williams, what do you think, though? Um, I'm actually kind of just more pretty good on it. I think it's very it is very funny. It's very entertaining to watch. Um I don't really care for like the initial interview bit. The very first like 20 or 30 minutes didn't really um, latch onto me like I was hoping it would. As the movie progressed, I got more and more into it and found it more fun to watch like the mystery unfold and see like the unusual turns that you wouldn't normally see in a whodunit. Um, but I think for the most part, it's very good. All the actors in it obviously help elevate it because they're such a fan of everybody. Um, and it definitely is very entertaining to watch, but I think it just kind of lacks in a few areas for me so that's like kind of a parm i don't want to want it to take away from um how funny i found it or how much i enjoyed watching it there was just a few things that kept it probably from being as parm said like the best of the year for me 
Well, let's uh, let's address those actually. Let's get those out of the way uh, because I, I do think that there uh, can be definitely some flaws to find within this movie. Uh, for others, it's not a universally uh, beloved film in that regard. Um, I can say actually, this is my own personal experience, and I'm not saying this applies to any of you guys. But one thing that I uh, definitely noticed about this movie <laughs> when I saw it. I, I for a little bit of context, I saw it at the Hamptons Film Festival, which is uh, a very rich, privileged festival we'll say mm-hmm. yeah and i can tell you that i had the most fun in a movie theater this year watching knives out um i've had a lot of fun this year watching some things but knives out was by far for me the most entertaining uh i laughed probably the hardest i just had a smile on my face from beginning to end it just held me uh the whole way through from an entertainment fun standpoint this was truly it for me when i walked out of the theater Boy, oh boy, did I hear some people complaining (laughs) about uh, some of the uh, politics of this movie, if you will. And it's because the movie is criticizing them. Now, like I said, I'm not saying that that is something that is applying to either one of you guys here. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I do believe that you guys have, you know, probably different issues with the movie. But I think that that's been very, very interesting because, like, for example, I did see that it got an A minus cinema score the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, I could see uh, a certain segment of the country not necessarily appreciating this," you know. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, you have the residual um, Last Jedi haters who will forever condemn Ryan Johnson for all eternity, and that's just unfair and stupid. And I don't know what you guys are doing with your lives if that's the case. But otherwise, um, I think there's a lot to appreciate and a lot to enjoy in this movie. But I know, like I said, I know that initial flaw doesn't probably apply to you guys. So I'm just curious to know, what was it that didn't click at times? Not not fully, but, you know, what, what were these little things? Well, I would actually say that on the subject of kind of the running commentary in the film, I I do obviously appreciate that it does get into some class issues. I do think that's actually a strength of the film, that it isn't just about this whodunit mystery I think what I would say is that there are some aspects of it that feel a little bit more developed than others. I think that this movie really has a great uh, idea when it wants to talk about the sort of specific kind of class divide that we find with people and how we treat people differently and what inherited money does to a family. I find all that very interesting. When it gets into the political stuff, it's not much in the film, but it, it does kind of feel like they introduce it, but then it doesn't really go anywhere. And I think that's something that feels a little bit forced to me. It's not a huge detriment to the film because it, the movie doesn't use it a ton, but I also sort of feel like why introduce it if you're not going to prod that much deeper into it. So that's something that I think the film didn't really need from my perspective. And you see, like, I'm going to disagree with you on that one, Josh, just a little bit, because I would argue that the uh, political theme of it, um, specifically in dealing with immigration, uh, is actually a running theme throughout the entire film and crystallizes at the end. Well, I think that the the immigration, yes, but I think that also just plays into the general themes of class and wealth and not that – I mean, yes, that is a very political issue, but I'm, I think I mean just more of the specific – political like references that they make in the movie that seems to 
call attention to itself in a way that the rest of the film doesn't need to, if that makes sense. I think I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, it seems like it's lines of dialogue that are in there to just make it sound topical and modern, if you will, because they're talking about contemporary issues. Yeah, and like to put a framework on certain characters that, you know, I think the movie is smart enough that it already provided that evidence that we felt certain characters would feel that way. And then to have them vocalize, it just feels like, okay, you're going a little bit too far now. That now seems like you don't think I trust uh, the, the movie. Trust me to figure that out myself. Um, I think I'm def- I'm in agreement with Parham there a little bit. I think that definitely felt a little, it didn't go some elements with the themes didn't go to their fullest extent. Um, one of my major issues is um, I think a lot of the jokes, some specific jokes and some of some character elements feel very forced and it feels like they come across for the sake of, I guess, comedy, but it didn't. And it may just be a personal thing. I just didn't find some of them very funny, um, but it felt like kind of like um, they were forcing like modernizing the movie, like just the jokes about like, I read a tweet and like referencing the New Yorker and Google and Netflix. It's very like, yeah, okay. And so I just don't, I'm not usually a huge fan of that when movies call attention to like very notable new stuff. Uh, And it feels like they do this just for the sake of the joke and it didn't just land for me. Um, And the first 20 minutes of the movie really rubbed me the wrong way. And I was very ready to hate the whole thing. But once it picks up and kind of evolves a little more, I've got very much into it. So I think just that initial interview bit really kind of got to me. But once we get over that, I was I was kind of I was ready. See, now it's interesting that you bring up the interview bit in the first 20 minutes, because one thing I thought that this movie did uh, that surprised me, actually, was that it dives right in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, within the first few minutes, we're already getting these edited in uh, perspective flashbacks um, from the point of view of the person that's giving the interview and these version of events and right away like through these um stories that are being told uh to the detectives we're getting a sense of who these characters are and in talking about what it is you're mentioning there josh about the um maybe the writing for some of these characters i think the decision to have these characters be very exaggerated and uh hammed up if you will does aid in the fun of the movie because there's a very, very big, loud performance at the center from Daniel Craig as Detective Benoit Blanc. And I think that if everybody else in the movie behaved um, differently than he did, I think it then would uh, maybe be drawing a bit more criticism probably. But otherwise, you know, because you do have Tony Collette, who's like this yoga fitness guru. You do have... Uh, Don Johnson playing this um, rich, uh, privileged. Uh, He's just playing Don Johnson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, <laughs> but like I think that there is a, a nice, not counterbalance, but I, I think that everybody knows exactly what type of movie they're in. For sure, um, you don't get the sense that somebody's on a different wavelength than everybody else. You know? Yeah, I think that first scene just really like. Some of the editing decisions mainly struck me by surprise. I was very like, whoa, okay, I wasn't ready for that. And then I think just the way some of the story goes about unfolding when they're giving their recollection of the events doesn't feel as smooth or like, for a pun, sharp 
as some of the other bits that show up later. So I think the first one felt like kind of like an introduction, I guess, to people who haven't seen a ton of whodunit movies. Like, okay, this is what it's going to be like, so get ready. And then it kind of really hams it up with the style later. So I think just the initial um, kind of some of the jump edits of, you know, Daniel Craig is talking to Tony Collette, but then it cuts and it's actually Don Johnson. You know, I think some of that I was just not ready for. So, but I do appreciate Johnson. But you see, like, I felt like that gave the film like an expedited snappy pace that really kind of forced me mm-hmm. to lean forward pay attention and and i think that uh, what ryan johnson does there in the beginning is he very very firmly holds the audience within his grasp for sure so that this way then when the twists and the turns do start coming in um then it, we are kind of like playing into exactly what it is that he wants to do my it's funny that we're like on a little bit of opposite ends of this <laughs> my uh storytelling fumble from a certain standpoint came towards the end because there is the there is a reveal in the movie and then there's a tw- and then there's a twist and the twist was one that i personally thought was very predictable and way too telegraphed and it really didn't surprise me and when it turned out to be exactly what it was, I was like, oh, well, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, yeah. Uh, I'm with you. The twist I, doesn't I think, bother me so much just because I, I kind of saw it coming. Yeah. I also think that's like the nature of most mysteries that the ending is usually the most disappointing thing about it. You love the buildup, <laughs> but not the, the actual ending to it. But to this movie's credit, it does, like, as you said, Matt, there is a reveal and then there's a twist. And this reveal happens earlier in the movie than I think you would expect it to. Yeah, that was very exciting. There's something to be said about a movie that feels that confident that it could provide that kind of information and still have a decent amount of the movie left for you to follow. And that I will give a lot of credit for this movie and for Ryan Johnson's ability to tell a story that he is able to kind of rearrange the pieces of what you normally expect in these kinds of movies and still kind of give you little bits of pieces of information after that to get you invested in how the resolution is going to come about. I agree with you that the resolution to me isn't like something that I was like hollering in my seat about, but I think that the way it's executed is still very fascinating and entertaining. And I was still invested in how it was going to go forward. And that's a lot, of credit due to Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. Sure. I, I definitely agree with you with the confidence thing of having the reveal early. Cause when the reveal early happened and I saw it, I was like, wow, we're just going to, we're going to do it now. Okay, fine. I guess I don't know what else is going to happen in the movie, but then as stuff kept going on, I was still interested in having a good time. But that was the thing, right? It, it was almost like psycho in a way where there's like this big thing that happens early and it happens so early in the movie that you're like, what's going to happen now, you know? And then there's another reveal towards the end that, you know, I I, I like the structure of this movie in that regard. Daniel, uh, what about you? How do you feel about the way that he chooses to unravel the uh, the story? I thought it was really smart and really subversive because I was expecting it to go that way. I mean, when you see, when you've seen, like, when you've seen one whodunit, you think you've seen all whodunits because you think they all go the same way. But this one really doesn't. And I really appreciated that. And I think a lot of credit can also be given to the performance of Anna de Armas. Oh, 100%. For me, is the MVP of this film. She absolutely is. 
Mm-hmm. We were all pretty much, I think, introduced to her uh, to some degree or another uh, with Blade Runner 2049, where she very much had a supporting role. Uh, wasn't really the focal point of that movie. She stood out, you know, in many ways. But I wouldn't say that people were like, oh, my God. I think this is the movie, though, where everybody's going to be like, yes, <laughs> cast her in more stuff. Give her more to do because she takes a very, very complex uh, and very... I think demanding role emotionally and she makes it work so extremely well. She is the heart of this movie and is the moral uh, center of the donut in the donut, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) (laughs) That, that line is amazing. (laughs) But uh, seriously though, she, she is, you know, if I take my donut analogy, she is the, the, the cream in the center of the donut that just makes everything so fantastic uh without her the movie would not have that emotional center it would not work yeah for sure and that's the point of the movie too is that she is the emotional moral center of this story and i think that it could have been very easy for that character to just basically become a metaphor and not have that much depth and i think to a certain extent the character is a little bit shallow in some instances but i think any deficiencies in the character is elevated by her performance and i agree that she gives the best performance in the film she's my favorite part of it and i think that if people are i don't know why you would be unsure about her as a like real bona fide actress but this proves it right here like i hope she gets a lot of offers because she's so so good now with all that said personally speaking i think benoit blanc as a character on the page and what daniel craig brings to it might be one of my favorite original characters of the last 20 years. Oh, up there with something like Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean as uh, Jack Sparrow. There's something about this character from a performance standpoint and just how bombastic and how loud he is and just how interesting, uh, interesting, well-painted he is as, as far as like how his mind works and there's like these like tiny little things like Daniel Craig, like singing in the car at one point while listening to music. I, I don't know. It just seems like he's such a very fully fleshed out character, so much so that I would not mind if we went on more adventures and solved more mysteries with this character. What do you guys think of that? I'm here for the Benoit Blanc cinematic universe. All other cinematic universes can go. Just give us the Benoit Blanc cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would love to see more uh, adventures with Benoit Blanc. And I think in particular, because I think that Daniel Craig is great in this film. And it's always fun to watch Daniel Craig kind of cut loose um, and create a character that is a little bit more over the top and a little bit more fun and boisterous, especially in comparison to James Bond, which, you know, I love him as Bond, but it's a very dour character that he plays in those movies. Um, But one thing I would also say is, I don't really feel like we get a sense of who Benoit Blanc is like preceding the events of this film. He kind of has his reputation of being this famous detective, but I don't know if the movie ever really gives us a sense of like a reputation that uh, really going into the film. I really feel like he just is introduced and we are told that he's a great detective and so we should just believe that, but I I guess maybe for me that's another place that the movie falls down just a little bit is in establishing that character. He doesn't really feel like 
fully formed when he walks into this world. I, I disagree because I think it's fully formed enough. I agree, not in the sense that, okay, let me let me like change the wording here. Not fully formed, but I think that there is a groundwork that is laid out enough that um, it leaves enough open for us to explore in future stories if we really wanted to. I think a lot of what is presented about him, like you're saying, Josh, is very surface level um, and it does not go deeper, but... I would argue that that is an opportunity then uh, if there was another film. Sure. But I think that for this movie, it just sort of seems like he walks into the film with a reputation of being like this world famous great detective. But I think if you actually look at his actual detective work in the film, it doesn't really have a lot of significance, I find. I, I think this is a movie that revolves more on the Anna Dharma's character and things that she brings to the story. And I kind of feel like He's really more of a background player than you would initially think. And because of that, it did sort of seem like he didn't have as much weight to him as I think the film introduced him as having. And especially by the end when, you know, stuff really starts to fall into place, it just sort of felt like that wasn't completely earned by that character. Josh, would you say that he's more of a a passive observer? (laughs) (laughs) and i guess sure that does fit into the the narrative of the film but i i also just feel like that is there is an opportunity to give that character just a little bit more and it's another example where i think the performance is doing a little bit more work than the writing is i just wanted to say that uh i think it's a little bit intentional on the part of johnson because i think he knows he wants to write more benoit blanc films and also i think he's really trying to do his own version of hercule poirot I listened to an interview uh, uh, of Ryan Johnson recently by Sean Fennessy on The Big Picture. Shout out to them. Um, and that's pretty much what Ryan was saying. He said when he was writing Benoit Blanc, he was just trying not to write him like Hercule Poirot too much. I've also personally spoken with Ryan Johnson, and um, he has said that uh, if the movie is successful, which it looks like it's very well going to be, and the studio was open to it, he would gladly reteam with Daniel Craig. And Daniel Craig also has told me that um, he would be open and willing to uh, working with Ryan again with this specific character. So I definitely think it's on the table. Oh, I have no doubt about that, but I can't judge one movie based on the possibility of something happening in the future. I can only look at the movie that I'm given right now. That's totally fair. I get it. Uh, another thing, too, in regards to the ensemble cast, I know we mentioned the big players here, Daniel Craig, Anna de Armas. Um, I would then say, like, you know, as far as ensembles go this year, though, like, for me, this is, like, one of the best ensembles I've seen in a movie this year um, for the reasons that I stated before in the sense that I feel like every character is pretty well-defined and memorable to their own degree. Um, there's also uh, a bit of campiness to all the performances from everybody involved. I mean, shit. Frank Oz even shows up at one point on screen as uh, the family's lawyer, yeah. <laughs> and he's just so terrific. Like, perfectly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I did even think that as like uh, the snotty, like prick rich boy, uh, Chris Evans did a really, really fantastic job as well. And I'm really, really glad to see that he's just, you know, if this is like a sign of things to come as far as his post Avengers uh, career, you know, sign me up. Like, I'm, I'm totally there. Uh, I've always been very, very interested in him as an actor. And to see him just, you know, doing something a little bit different, obviously, is uh, a lot of fun to see. And then, oh, God, Christopher Plummer. Oh, 
Well, what else can be said about Christopher Plummer that's not been said about Christopher Plummer? <laughs> you know? I mean, he turns 90 years old this year, like, and he's still going. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it is. Um, who else is really great? It's Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. I, I do want to say, though, it, it, this kind of gets to one of the other, like, tiny criticisms that I have about the movie. I do really like this cast. I, I think that this, cast is the cast is great. The, the actors that are in this film do a really, really good job. But I do think that there's sort of like these rings of influence in terms of who is in this ensemble. And as you get further away from like the very core group, the, I, I feel like those kind of periphery characters, like, yes, they're meant to be on the sidelines, but they don't really get me quite as invested. Like I like Jamie Lee Curtis, but I feel like her character is only meant to be basically like a red herring to a certain degree. And agreed. And you don't really get that much out of her. And I feel like once you get away from Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas and and those like characters right in the center, it gets a little bit fuzzy in terms of real definitions of who they are as people. And that to me was, you know, I get it. I understand it. And it doesn't take a lot away from the movie for me. But I do notice that like once you get towards the edges, those characters do become a little bit more caricature level and don't really go as deep as obviously that core group does. Yeah, for sure. I just want to say, I think we're forgetting about another very important member of this ensemble and that's great. Nana Thromby. <laughs> <laughs> How old is she? We don't know. <laughs> Favorite line in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love when she chuckles at the end. Oh my like, gosh. Huh? I, I love when Daniel Craig has her has his scene with her. <laughs> I love that so so much. Oh God, yeah, no, good good shout out there. I I love. Oh man, fantastic. <laughs> oh, this whole lens. I I really I I know what you're saying, Josh, in terms of the writing of the other characters and how it doesn't go any deeper with any of them. I totally totally get what you mean by that. That is actually um, my only knock against the film. If I had to give any knock against it, um, but I do think that what is provided is sufficient enough like for me i i'm acknowledging that i think it's a i think it's a nitpicky thing on my part probably but um i can't not mention it because i do feel like the script does go pretty deep with uh some of the other characters as you said at the at the center um the center of the donut if you will but uh you know the, yes 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 okay yes <laughs> like like keep stan like like keep stanfield's character in this movie um i feel like there was so much more going on there but it seems to me like uh, that I don't know, like that seemed like a missed opportunity potentially for them to explore a little bit deeper of a relationship between Benoit Blanc and the other detectives involved in the case. Like those detectives for me felt so unnecessary, you know, like I feel like they didn't do much of anything throughout the whole movie, you know? Yeah. And like you said, we like Lakeith Stanfield. We think that he's a great actor, but it does sort of feel like I mean, I do agree that the dynamic between Benoit Blanc and those police detectives do feel very odd to me. It doesn't really ever feel very much established. And because of that, it seems like just another occasion where the actors bring so much more to the material rather than what the script is doing in terms of a character perspective. It's not totally detrimental, but it does. It's a little knock against the movie for me. Okay, All right. That's fair. What do you guys think? Uh, final thoughts? Uh, anything that we did not mention, we can mention, we can bring up, uh, and then we'll give a grade out of 10. 
And if you're lying about the grade, um, I, I'll know because obviously you'll throw up on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Brilliant, uh, what did we not talk about that you want to bring up? When I first saw the cast list, I was a little confused as to how Catherine Langford and Jaden Martell were going to play into it. But I think <laughs> they they both bring their own kind of energy to it. Like, I mean, you can tell Catherine Langford is like the supposed the fill in for like the millennial or or young adult social justice warrior per se and you can tell Jada Martell is the fill in for say the alt right troll and i think just that dichotomy in and of itself is present in so many families these days and is something that just brings an, another modern touch to it that I really appreciated. Yeah, Jane Martell, I, I wanted more from that character because I actually thought that there was more uh, unexplored comedy to be uh, taken out with that character. There's one really, really fantastic joke in the movie um, about him in a bathroom that had me howling. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I felt like, uh, you know, that character, that character was so quiet and didn't really say much in the movie that I think also, Josh, to your point earlier, um, I think he also was possibly another red herring. Oh, God, are we giving spoilers by saying that? <laughs> oh, geez, I hope not. Well, in any event, though, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with you on that. Uh, what else? Um, I would also just say, like, to go back to Christopher Plummer, this man is going to give us great performances until he dies. Like, seriously. Like, it's ridiculous how great he is. And he's having a great decade. He really is. Might be the best decade of his entire career, honestly. Like, it's insane. He has has two Oscar nominations and now this. And it's just, like... This man's almost 90 years old. Like, like you're just it's it's absurd. It's absurd that this man is still acting as great as he is. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I mean, and he's showing I don't think any signs of slowing down. He has just as much energy on screen as he did 20 years ago. Uh, right. Let's pass it over to Parm. What did we not talk about? Um, well, I think I just want to reiterate that I do have some issues with the film, but it is still really fun and entertaining. And I really do want to make sure people understand that. I really just love the energy and the performances that are given in this film and even parts of the story. Like it, there are deficiencies, but I still think it's a really fun, entertaining movie that I had a lot of enjoyment with. And I do give Ryan Johnson himself a lot of credit for how he unfolds this story in a really interesting way. So I still find it to be a very, very fun movie. Okay. All right. Josh Williams. Um, I don't think we mentioned this, but uh, the movie is shot incredibly well. Oh, yeah. One of the best looking films of the year. I would uh, say. Steve Yedlin is a cinematographer we do not talk about enough. I agree with that. Absolutely. And the production design is great. That's what I was going to bring up. Oh, my God. This production design, this movie is insane. The house. Second best house of the year. It's some of the most inspired production design I think I've seen this year for a contemporary film. It's very good. I mean, it, it can be a little... <laughs> A little, a little loud, <laughs> you know, but I think that, that speaks to the, the type of family that we're dealing with here. They call attention to it in the film. You know, they even say he lives in a clue board. So they, yeah. the movie knows what kind of film it's in. Yeah. I do think that the visual storytelling of like the, the cinematography, the production design, um, even the costume design, the sweaters, all oh, the sweaters. Yep. Oh, yes. I think all of it is so well informed into the characters and, um, also to the themes that Ryan Johnson wants to build off of those characters that it, it, to me, it's one of the more meticulously constructed films I've seen this year. And it's not some grand epic. It's not like a, a vast period piece or anything like that. It's, 
it's just a murder mystery, but yet it still, to me, came off like there was so much attention to detail and care put into um, the way that the story unfolds, especially in the editing. Um, I know Josh, you know, Josh Williams, that you said, you know, the first 20 minutes or so, you know, a little bit tough to follow. And I agree, the movie just throws you right in, right off the bat. I get that. And it was definitely a very interesting framing device to use to um, reveal uh, who these characters are through their um, interrogations with the, uh, with the police officers. But the visual storytelling, um, like I said, to paint the the picture of what happened that night from each character's uh, perspective and then revisiting certain events from other characters' perspectives, I think Johnson just has this so, so well constructed. Like, I could just imagine him with a shot list, you know, putting this all together, those if it is like one giant puzzle, you know what I mean? And you you have to realize too, like as you're watching it, like... If you don't have this carefully planned out from the very, very beginning before you get to set, I mean, it's a, you know, these types of movies that have like reveals and twists and things like that, they're, they're magic tricks. You have to pull on the audience. It's really, really hard to do. No, yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, I think that, I think that brings up everything that I wanted to say, actually, as well. Just one more thing. Yeah. One more thing. The score by Nathan Johnson is not getting enough love. I need to re-listen to it again. Um, I, I do I do like it. Um, I've seen the movie twice now. I actually want to listen to the score on its own. I haven't listened to it on its own yet, though. Uh, alrighty. Josh Parm, what's the grade out of 10? I am at an 8 out of 10. So it's a movie that I really liked, really very much enjoyed. It's not really going to be like a top 10 contender for me, but it's still very, very entertaining. Okay. Other Josh? Um, I give it a 7 out of 10. Definitely lower than I thought it was going to be. That's okay. That's all right. I'll forgive you. <laughs> Daniel Brilliant. Oh, well, uh, if you heard what I said at the beginning of the show, number one film of the year, 10. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to give this movie a four out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back. Excuse me. Uh, you'll get it when you see the movie, people. Nine out of 10 for me. One of my favorite films of the year. All right, Oscar potential for this film. Interesting case. Could go either way. We don't know. We were saying in the uh, days leading up to this film's release that it needed box office in order to stay in the conversation. Um, It's having a really, really fantastic opening uh, weekend that's exceeding expectations. And I think that that is going to help it tremendously as we go forward Because one thing that we do know for sure is we know that this is going to probably get some Golden Globe uh, comedy musical um, love. You know, Daniel Craig looks like he can get a uh, actor nomination there. Looks like the film could contend for picture. Ryan Johnson, I feel like I just get the sense that there is industry love for him in regards to Last Jedi was, from an industry standpoint, a successful movie. Made a lot of money. Did really well with critics. And he's taken quite a beating from Star Wars fans over that film. I can't help but feel like that there might be a um, a desire to want to give him some sort of acknowledgement. You know, that you are a terif- terrific filmmaker, you know, and you've given us entertaining film after entertaining film after entertaining film. Here's an Oscar nomination for original screenplay. You know, to validate that, you know, welcome to the club. You know what I'm saying? Unless we forget, he almost got there. Yeah, with Looper. 
That's true. That film was very much in contention and got a lot of nominations from a lot of uh, critics groups that year. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Absolutely. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Do you think that he could crack the lineup this year in original screenplay? I think that's the most likely chance. I, I would agree with that. I think that because he has been around for a while and that he has gotten relatively close in that category in the past, I do think that there is an opportunity for that film. It's going to require a lot of like passion to come around it, which in a nomination phase is what gets you in the lineup. But it's like touch and go for me right now. I'm not like, I think I have him in at the moment, but as like number five. So it could easily not happen to screenplay or bust. I think, uh, I think I'm not going to lie. I think editing is on the table um, in a, you know, I, I know some people are trying to like say that best picture is also happening potentially with this, that I don't see, but there's something about the editing of this that I keep coming back to in regards to, you know, that category in recent years has given editing nominations to films that did not receive corresponding Best Picture nominations. Um, I'm thinking of stuff like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Star Wars The Force Awakens, I, Tanya. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, there's something about the editing of this movie that it could happen. Baby Driver. Yeah, Baby Driver. Well, that was a film that was really very much about the editing. Yes, but also not nearly contending for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah no, 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 you're right. And I would actually say that I would actually say that Baby Driver is the only one out of that bunch that does feel like it didn't come anywhere close to Best Picture. Which normally, if you get into this category and you're not a nominee, you're at least in that conversation. Which, you know. I think Knives Out is to a certain extent, but not, not where I think to the point where it feels like a safer bet for film editing to me. If this movie keeps making an exceeding amount of money, watch out for the PGA. Watch out. There's a couple of things that I think we know for sure. Uh, we know that the movie is going to get like a um, Critics' Choice uh, comedy, I want to just preface by saying, nomination probably for Daniel Craig. We know it's going to get some Golden Globes love. I could see a world because of the films dropping in and out uh, due to eligibility reasons. I could see a world where Johnson gets in at WGA. Yeah. yeah. He's been nominated before, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see it. So there's a lot of things I could see happening for this that I, I'm not like I am actually right now as of today predicting it in screenplay. Um, but I, I'm very, very shaky on it. I have it at number five. But I do think that there is a path. I agree, yeah. I mean, would you also conclude, too, that other things to keep it in the conversation would be things like a SAG Ensemble nomination is maybe very likely? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Here's another thing, too. Um, I want to I bring this up because this is something that's been a hot, a hot topic of debate lately online. Um, Josh Parm, Daniel Craig, lead or supporting? I'm going to say supporting. Yeah. I, yeah? I, I think that this is uh, and Armas' movie, and... I, I grant you that Daniel Craig has a large like presence in the film, but I think his purpose in the movie feels actually more supporting to me. I thought about this, and I am with Parham on this one. I think that he supports Anna de Armas' story. So with that said, I think they should change their campaign strategy. But here's why I don't think he's lead, because we're all forgetting that there's a very popular person in supporting actor. That's Chris Evans. And I think watch out for that surprise sag nom for Chris Evans on the shoulders of Endgame and this. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, well, hold on. The key word there is surprise, right? I mean, sure, but okay. Think about I mean, who SAG's <laughs> voting body is. Just think about it. Everyone knows who Chris 
And it is and it is SAG-AFTRA nowadays. It's not just SAG now. So that there is something to be said there, I think. Okay. I mean, I, I just I just have a lot more skepticism about that kind of a narrative. I think that this is to me, Knives Out is a movie that you think about like that true ensemble. And if you're going to signal anybody individually, it's Daniel Craig because of the structure to the film. But I think that individual mentions aren't really going to come in too many other places outside of that. I think most people are going to look at this as a whole piece in terms of the ensemble. Also, Dearmas and Globe Comedy is not a stretch. No, totally not. That can totally happen. 100% agreed. Especially considering uh, the way that category looks this year in terms of um, most of the major Oscar contenders for Best Actress are going drama this year. So, yeah, no, I think that this movie, um, you know, like I said, the the biggest thing it needed was it needed box office. It's got the box office. It's not going to be looked at now as a uh, failure. Everybody always wants to back a winning uh, horse in the race all the time. And if you want to do well in award season, you have to be looked at as a perceived winner. And I think that Knives Out um, has a lot going for it in that regard. The question is now, how far will it take it? We'll see. We'll see in the weeks ahead. Daniel, where can I find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Film and Sports 21. Uh, you can find my podcast at The Gavritz, or you can find my writing at In Session Film. All right. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Uh, Josh Parham, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And what about you, Josh Williams? Where can I find you? You can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore Williams 09. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Knives Out here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.